would like uh, to, to share with you a message that uh, I've been anticipating for quite some time and going back and forth exactly where and how I would do this, but I, I think it's an important one in our day, in our age. Uh, my, my text is uh, to jump off from this message as we've been dealing with these hot topics is Romans chapter 12. And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles there with me as we open this topic together on what does the Bible say about sex and gender. We're going to look at various scriptures, of course, but I think this is a good one to set a foundation for our discussion this morning. And so uh, in deference to God's word, I'll invite you to stand again. So you get your yoga or exercise or whatever that is, uh, uh, do some stretching here, and uh, I'd like to uh, open this up. Uh, Lord, uh, I just pray your word will be fixed in our hearts, in our minds. Renew us, Lord, I pray. Amen. Hear God's word for us, beginning in Romans 12, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul, and he writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. May God add his blessing to that. You can be seated. Well, as, as I've been uh, kind of alluding to, I want us to have a frank and important discussion and conversation about God and this question of gender, specifically gender dysphoria and really the transgender movement that has uh, really shifted the tide of our culture in recent days. And yes, I think this is a hot topic as this increasingly touches our families and individuals at workplaces and schools. Society, culture, let's face it, has shifted dramatically in the last decade as we are having discussions that were truly unimaginable just a, a short time ago. But in this shift of culture, we must remember always that we are talking about real people. Some of you remember it wasn't that long ago, was it? How awkward you felt as a teenager when you didn't feel like you fit in. Uh, today, imagine being a teenager and you didn't feel like you, you fit into the, the typical stereotypes of, of your biological sex. If you were born a boy, you didn't like playing roughhouse games in the backyard or you weren't interested in pickup trucks. So today, it's very often a question raised. Who am I? really? Is something off about me? Or you're a teenage girl and you never got into dolls and tea parties and you liked rough sports. Uh, you, you like doing things different than everybody else. And so you feel like, again, something's off with you. And, and you want to be happy. Imagine a teenager who just wants to be happy. Now, course add that to the mix of TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram and what other social media is out there and of course you see a number of people who have gained some notoriety they've announced a gender change or they're going by a different pronoun and they have been celebrated in school and online and the reality is they seem happy about it Social media, let's face it, has changed the way we think and see the world. 
And so you wonder, is, is that what I need to do? Of course, on the other side of that, imagine if you're a parent and your teenager comes in, the one you've prayed for and the one you bore into the world. You named your little boy or your little girl, but one day they, that, that child comes in and says, you know, I don't feel at home in my body. I want to change my name. I want to change my pronouns. Well, as a mom or a dad, you're perplexed, you're hurt. You begin to do research. You, you'd never even heard of gender dysphoria. You certainly never thought it was going to impact your home. Your heart is broken. You're embarrassed, and you wonder, have I done something wrong? You want to support your child. You love them very much, and the culture says you are cruel if you don't support that change in identity. Or how do you feel as a parent when you find out that your son was given a, a gender wheel in elementary school and he was told he can decide if he wants to change his gender? It's fluid. Or imagine being a parent who was a daughter playing in a high school basketball game and she's pitted against what is clearly a boy. Now, of course, these aren't hypotheticals. These are things that are happening day in and day out all around our culture. And how are we supposed to navigate these waters where, where, where norms have been shattered? Yes, so we have these are real issues. And yes, we need to remember these are real people. It's about people who God created. It's about people God loves and gave his son up for. How do we navigate this? Well, it, at this church, of course, we believe that the scripture has been God-breathed. It has been breathed by God, which means that, that God has given us his word and his word is good for us because God is full of grace and truth. Jesus came as the word of God. He is the word of God. He was the embodiment of God. And it says that the word of God says that it was filled with grace and truth. And so what does the word of God say about this issue regarding sex and transgender questions? Well, as we begin to talk about that, I think it's probably important to define some terms because if you have been following this at all, words have begun to shift in meaning and we need to talk about those things. And of course, when we talk about someone's sex, historically, we were talking about them being male or female. We were referring to mostly obvious physical characteristics, reproductive anatomy. On a genetic level, chromosomes. Males have XY chromosomes. Females have two X chromosomes. We learned that in biology years ago. Our sex was not a question, it was a given. But of course, now that is being questioned. And we talk about sex being assigned at birth. But in recent years, this new term has emerged and it's gender identity. Until most recently, sex and gender were the same thing. But in our postmodern era, there is a movement to separate gender from sex. 
So biological sex is the physicality, perhaps, but gender has to do with the person's self-perception of whether they are male or female, masculine or feminine, or in some cases, something altogether different. So today in our culture, gender and sex are not viewed as the same. Gender has been divorced from sex. Are you with me? Now, there is a little bit of irony here, if you think about it, because the transgender movement advocates largely for a genderless society where people can move across the genders and be non-binary. Now, what's ironic about that is the transgender movement depends on stereotypes, if you think about. It, it, it depends on, you know, the gender wheel where if you like things that, that maybe, well, these things, then maybe you're a female or if you tend to like these things, then maybe you should be male. But the reality is we need a much bigger definition of male and female than that men like big trucks and football and women like cooking and Barbie dolls. Rebecca McLaughlin made this observation. She said, if we separate gender from sex, all we're left with is stereotypes. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense that we would use stereotypes to determine gender rather than biological sex to determine gender, which then brings us to this new term, gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is that sense of mismatch between your physical sex, your body, and your physical or psychological gender. A biological male in his mind is thinking he's a female, or a biological female is thinking that she is male. But here's the thing, those who experience gender dysphoria feel as if a war is raging within them. Your brain is literally at war with your body. Think about wars are painful, it's difficult. People who genuinely feel this incredible tension between their physical body and the sense of who they really are, that's gender dysphoria. But I want you to think about this. Who else talks about a war happening within us? Well, Christians have talked about that for quite a while. Paul writes in Romans 7, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within. He's talking about this war inside. Earlier in verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. I call that the doo-doo passage, you know. I'm a mess. It's this sense as a Christian that I want to follow Christ. I want to live a good and holy life. But then I do something entirely different. I know it's sin. It's a war. How many of us can relate to that? I can. Listen, if anyone should be able to understand dysphoria then, we may not wrestle with gender dysphoria, but Christians above all people can understand this tension of war within. 
We know that's not who we are because God made us brand new, but we have this battle going on, this fight happening within us. In fact, we came to Christ because we knew that things weren't right, that we needed a savior. So let's begin this way. Christians, listen, we should be the most compassionate people in this conversation because it involves real people. There's a war and we're called to hurt with those who hurt. But we must also stand up for those who are being hurt. Feminists are now beginning to understand that women are at risk with the transgender movement. Abigail Schreier wrote an incredibly important book, I think, titled Irreversible Damage, which documents this social contagion going on in our culture, sweeping teenage and adolescent girls. This is unprecedented in history, where upwards of 25 to 40% of young ladies in schools report gender and sexual identity confusion. You've undoubtedly heard the, the name Leah Thompson, the obvious male who competed in NCAA swimming as a female and crushed other females by several body lengths. Ranked in the mid-500s as a male, he emerged as a champion when he began to identify as a female. The University of Pennsylvania female teammates who quietly objected and were forced to share a locker room with an intact male were told that they should seek therapy for their inhibitions. Leah was then nominated by the university as the NCAA Women's Athlete of the Year. Riley Gaines competed against Leah Thomas and placed fifth in the NCAA championships. She said nothing publicly at first, but a few weeks later, she found her voice speaking out respectfully but honestly about the unfairness of it all. And when she did, she was attacked and physically assaulted by a trans activist on a college campus, threatened and shut down, shouted down. She was mocked for her tears and forced by an angry mob into a back room after trying to speak to students. Security was too intimidated by the mob that they didn't stand up for her. The women who have begun to speak out have been labeled as bigoted and transphobic and hateful, even though their spaces have been invaded and opportunities for advancement have been taken away. The reality is, as we continue to see in our society, we shift from a biblical worldview, chaos will ensue. But what is the biblical perspective? Well, I think it comes down to two questions. Number one, where do our bodies come from? And number two, how can I truly be happy? Those are really two fundamental questions that I think inform how we see these issues. Where do our bodies come from and how can we truly be happy? 
And, and, and what we need to realize is that Scripture gives a very different answer to that, those questions than what the world is currently offering. Very different. The first question, of course, is a question of origin. Where do we come from? Where does my body come from? Well, we get our answer in Genesis 1. The Bible describes human beings as having been intentionally created by God, and he placed us in a world that he ordered. God says, in fact, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness. And he creates humanity in the image of God. He creates them male and female. So as believers, we believe that God is our creator, that God gave us our bodies. And humanity is distinct, by the way, from creation. The, the sunsets and the birds and the waterfalls are all good, God says. But man, when he creates humanity, male and female, this is what he says, it's very good. It's exactly what he wanted. And he places his image on us, on you, on me. There is something spectacular and wonder-filled about every human being. We are the crown of God's creation, and there's a distinction again between male and female. That's the way God intended. That's the way God created, ordered it. God is the one who gave us our bodies. Today, in our world, there is a view of personhood that my body is not necessarily who I am. There's this division between the physical and the psychological. They are not necessarily congruent. For instance, Jessica Siano is a male to female transgender person. Jessica says, I know I am not my body. I am not my body. I am a spiritual person. And that's the world's developing view. That's that who you are is separate from your body. By the way, if you study history, you know that that idea is not new. If you're a student of the New Testament, I remember studying this in college, the church confronted the ancient heresy of Gnosticism way back in the first and second centuries. Ancient Gnosticism taught that you are a spiritual being. Here's your body. You can do anything you want with, with your body because it's not really who you are. It doesn't impact you. It doesn't make a difference. That's what Gnosticism taught. The physical has nothing to do with the spiritual. But it was the early church that countered that by saying, no, we are connected as a whole person. Your body is deeply and profoundly connected to who you are. The scripture has a high view of your body. In Psalm 63, verse 1, David says, and this is just one example, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. Soul and the body are together desiring the same thing, the totality of who he is, soul and body. And by the way, if you think about it, didn't David break down a lot of stereotypes I've thought about this quite often. He was a poet, harpist, a, a dancer in worship. But God creates us as a connected person. So when you were in your mother's womb, he gave you your body. Psalm 139, 13, for you 
created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God has made you this incredible piece of beautiful art. That's what God's word says. Now, we live in a fallen world. We are marred by sin. Our bodies are marred too, amen? Yeah. And sin causes confusion and eventually death. But here's the thing. When I look at the scriptures, what does it say? When I die, the scriptures promise me a new body, a glorified body, but it will still be my body. That's how important our bodies are to our being. Now, Jesus himself shows us this dramatically. Jesus enters our world, and he becomes a body in the flesh. It wasn't a fake body. There was a heresy that tried to say, no, he wasn't really. He was just a ghost form. No, he bled, and he died physically. Paul writes this. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So God entered the world to pursue you. He entered the world in a body to, to forgive you and love you. And when you believe in Jesus, the scripture says that the spirit of God moves into your body. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know, Paul says, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. That's amazing that God takes up residence in this physical body of mine. And yes, because of sin, we know the reality of wrestling with these bodies. They will wear out. They get a little flabby or more than flabby. But the Bible teaches that those who follow Jesus will be given a new body, a resurrected body. In fact, Jesus demonstrated this, remember, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead? He was different, but the same. They didn't quite recognize him at first, but he could walk through doors and show up and appear. But in his body, he still had the scars from the cross. We live in a world that is broken, and we can wrestle with these things that don't feel right. But we know this, that one day we will no longer live in this broken world. We will live with him forever in paradise with our bodies. Paul writes, as believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. That's good news. But our bodies are important. As Christians, we believe God put you together and he loves your body. Your sex and gender are connected. And yes, we live in a world of imperfection, 
but you are not your own for you were bought with a price glorify God in your body but what about that second question then how can I be happy people just want to be happy God wants Leah Thomas to be happy God loves people who are wrestling with gender dysphoria and he wants them to be happy but again the scripture and the world collide here on how we get there think about what the world says the world says when you have gender dysphoria and you're wrestling listen to your mind and what alter your body well scripture what does it say well we just read it in Romans 12 therefore brothers and sisters in view of God's mercies I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God this is your true worship don't be conformed to this age but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good pleasing and perfect will of God you see how that's just the opposite the scripture says when you have gender dysphoria embrace your body that God gave you and allow him to change your mind the world says listen to your mind change your body the scripture tells us offer your body and allow God to renew your mind get in my grace trust me give yourself to me and I will change you as we continue to drift from the anchor of a biblical worldview this is what's so sorrowful about all of that more and more people are less and less happy God wants you to be happy the scripture says this if you have a tension then the tension may not let's let's face it it may never fully resolve itself in this life but God loves you in the middle of that tension he's merciful and gracious and kind God loves you in dysphoria but instead of changing your body or your pronouns change your mind allowing God to renew your mind and receive your body as a glorious gift from him Abigail Schreier again says that 70% of adolescents who are not encouraged to change their gender, parents, you matter, 70% eventually will phase out of their dysphoria. In other words, it's cruel to adolescents to encourage them to change their gender, mutilating their bodies, when all of us know as adolescents, teenagers, man, we're mixed up. We've we got a lot to figure out. We have no idea. Tavistock was a gender clinic in England. It's been shut down recently. Boy, did they make a lot of money, however, because adolescents would come into their gates and say, well, I'm experienced in this. And they would say, well, we need to change you. We need to, 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 to mutilate your body. 
Now they're being sued by so many because of, of the, the, the haphazard way they did their business. So many regret it. Scriptures tell us that the compassionate thing is to change your mind. Don't transform your body. I heard a pastor in our denomination a few years back now just share a testimony of his own teenage daughter who was experiencing this issue. She wanted to change her name and her pronouns. And he expressed how much in the dark that put him and his wife. He was hurting. But he said to his girl, I, I, I'm going to be in this mess with you. I just ask that as long as you live with us that you make no changes or transitions to your body or to your name. I love you and I'm going to be with you in this mess. I just know I made some bad decisions in high school. I regret them to this day. I don't want you to make that same mistake. Let's work together. And together perhaps we can just concentrate on what it means to look at your body as a gift from God. I ran into him a couple of weeks ago at yearly meeting. I was having lunch with some of our pastors and he stopped by for a moment and he, his, his wife told me that their daughter was doing so much better. She still has some issues, but, but, but she's gotten past this, this dysphoria. And he said, yeah, she's... She's now living near North Olmstead here, and he is hoping that she's going to stop in one day. And I sure hope she does. Because I'm reminded in the church, we're all a mess. If there is any place where we should be able to come when we feel confused and unsafe, and uncertain and unloved, it ought to be the church. We should help people walk through the mess with patience and compassion. After all, yeah, we're messed up too, maybe in different ways, but we have a Messiah for our messes. He can renew our minds and tune our hearts to bring him glory. I was listening to a pastor in San Francisco who took his daughter, Evie, to what was called the Exploratorium. I don't know if anyone in this room has been there. I've got an ant on me here. Exploratorium was a children's museum. In fact, it's a rather world-renowned children's museum. And he said, uh, we went in, it was awesome. It was beautiful, it was amazing. But then he said, near the end, he said, we found ourselves in an exhibit about changing your identity, changing your gender. Now, this is 2019, uh, so I don't know if it's still there or not. But he began to wonder, am I going to take Evie through this? She was about 11 or 12 years old. The name of the exhibit was Self-Made, and it was massive, he said. And this is what the exhibit posted as part of its presentation. It said, self-made categories, once thought to be firm and fixed, race, gender, and even humanity, 
grow blurry and in some cases dissolve under scrutiny. Like it or not, none of us can point to a single unchanging self. We'll all live at the intersection of many selves, a shifting set of labels, identities, and affiliations that morph and modulate as we make our way through this world. He says we are in this exhibit, and what I decided to do with my daughter, Evie, was to sit down, read the, the captions, discuss it with her, and one part of the exhibit stated in bold letters, you are who you say you are. You are who you say you are. He said, Evie, what do you think that's telling us about ourselves? Evie says, well, I think it's saying I can be whoever I want to be if I want to be a boy or a girl. It's saying I can decide who I want to be. He says, I, I told Evie, you remember that song we sing at church? Remember, God, I am who you say I am. I am who you declare me to be. Evie, which do you think is a better way to live? To live with the pressure of having to decide who you are and or for you to receive what God has made you and declared you to be. Which is better, more liberating, more joyful? Which is a better way to live? Well, she says, to be who God made me to be, to be who he says I am. I think that was pretty wise. It is the better way to live. This is the way to happiness, to live in the freedom that God has created you. We are not self-made. We did not make ourselves. God made us. He wants to redeem us. By the cross of Jesus Christ, we have been bought with a precious price. We don't have to live with the pressure of making ourselves. We can simply receive who he has made us to be I want you to know you are not your past you are not the things that you are ashamed of you are not what people say you are but you also don't have to live with the pressure of deciding who you're going to be you can follow Jesus allow him to renew your mind your heart and be who he says you are because he loves you. <laughs> he calls you his child. You are wonderfully made, complex, beautiful, body and soul connected. You are who he says you are. And that's good news. We don't have to live under the pressure of figuring it out. Will you pray with me? Father, I know uh, we've just begun to scratch the surface of this very important issue that is so much of our culture and the conversation. But I do pray, Lord, that this would allow us to lay a foundation of what we are to be as a church in response. 
We thank you, Lord, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who loves us and, in fact, gave his son up for us that we might live forever. That, Lord, you are a creator who didn't make a mistake with any person, and you love them exceedingly. May we, as your church, demonstrate that same kind of love and passion to those who are experiencing issues like gender dysphoria. Know, Lord, what it is to be at war within. So may we be compassionate, but may we also be filled with the truth, the truth that, Lord, will set us free, the truth that will bring us ultimate joy, the truth that will bring us life as we receive, Lord, in faith, your goodness, your grace, your mercy. Teach us to follow you with our whole hearts. Renew our minds. I pray, Lord, most especially for our young people today. In this culture, they're hearing a very different message. May we be faithful and true in this age to continue to proclaim the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Am I on? There I go. As, uh, as Jason comes to lead us, I think it's appropriate. I, I realize this may touch some of you in very, uh, very important ways, very intimate ways. Maybe you know something about experiencing gender dysphoria yourself. I want you to know you're not judged here. We love you. We care about you. Maybe someone in your family is experiencing this and you're trying to navigate those waters and this morning maybe you just need some encouragement through God's Spirit to help you with that. I, I just want to ask that we, uh, we open this altar this morning for whatever situation that you're touched with in regards to this issue. Maybe there's some name that comes to mind. Maybe it's Maybe it's just, maybe it's your attitude. Maybe you just find yourself angry and you need to have your mind renewed and changed and maybe you need to be given a new perspective. But I want you to know this altar is open as we sing this song and reflect on the fact that God has made us. We are his. May we, uh, may we, may we experience his grace in this moment. Pastor Jason. Pastor Jason.